But the first Sunday nights of each month, they'll be dedicated to a word study sermon, such as last week, which we, when we looked at the word salvation and what the word salvation could mean to us. So the first Sunday nights of each month will be dedicated to a word study sermon. A third Sunday night sermon will deal with a specific uh, New Testament question that's asked in the Bible itself. And tonight's lesson, the second Sunday night of each month, will deal with a New Testament command. Wayne Jackson writes that commands may be classified as either moral or religious. Moral commands have to do with man's relationship to his fellows, whether religious laws or uh, they involve uh, the humanity, our human uh, reconciliation to our Creator. Commands can also be positive or negative commands. Positive commands are linked to a responsibility, Brother Jackson writes. And a negative command, it prohibits wrongdoing. And what we're dealing with tonight, in our lesson tonight, is, is, a, is a positive moral command. So if you would please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. In this command, we have a responsibility to morality with our fellow man. The command found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. This is commanded. The command to teach is quite clear in the Scriptures. But if you read the Brotherhood papers, magazines, websites, TV shows, if, if you look at those and follow those at all, like I do, you would think there would be a crisis like never before on, on teaching. Wayne Jackson, I'm quoting him again, he, he wrote, this was a question asked of him, My son was raised in the church. We had taught him the Bible. As a youngster, he sometimes helped to serve the Lord's Supper. He even gave talks occasionally. After he was in college a while, something changed. He began to question the teaching of the Scriptures. Now he professes no faith at all. What happened? Brother Jackson writes back, This is a story that I've heard over and over again across the years. Many of our youngsters are losing their faith. Why is this? Well, perhaps there's no simple single reason. However, it may be sufficient to observe that one of the causes of this growing defection among our young adults is the fact that for years they were operating on a borrowed faith. In too many instances, they had a superficial instruction from mediocre teachers in their church Bible classes. Added to this is the fact that they were given no substantial intellectual training at home. Accordingly, when they encountered the crass humanistic environment of the university atmosphere, they were unable to survive. In a recent Gospel Advocate, this is from August 2010, Dan Owen writes, From the cradle roll to the senior seekers, today's church curriculum offers far less actual study and teaching of the Bible than once was the case. He says, the churches of Christ at one time were dedicated to the inspiration and authority of the Bible. We were known as the back to the Bible people. Many factors in the last century have eroded the identity. These factors include less certainty on the part of many about the literal inspiration and authority of the Bible, an increasing acceptance of a tolerant 
politically correct, non-judgmental mindset regarding religious sects and denominations, an increasing emphasis on the physical or practical realities of here and now as opposed to concerns about eternity. For whatever reasons, the curriculum in Churches of Christ has changed a great deal and not always for the better. In many congregations, the Bible school curriculum for adults is just as generic as those offered to children. Again, John Waddy. A visit to some of the liberal Protestant churches in your neighborhood would reveal that there can be a Bible school which does not teach God's book. But a closer look would also reveal that they are dying churches with dwindling attendance and an uncommitted membership. Lest we be proud, we should take a hard look at our own classes. More often than we wish to admit, a child can attend our Bible classes for years and still be virtually illiterate in scriptural knowledge. The reasons are many. Untrained teachers who do, not know how to what to do, who do not know how or what to teach. Unprepared teachers who fail in their duty to their pupils. Poor literature and teaching age which give little Bible content or are poorly presenting God's truth. Unmotivated students who come to class unprepared and manifest no interest in learning. Uncaring parents who make no effort to help their kids learn at home or be prepared for their Bible classes. Irregular, irregular attendance with frequent absentees and tardiness. He goes on to say, a cultural war is raging in America. The remarkable thing is that many Christians don't seem to realize that they're caught in the middle of a great conflict. He says in another publication... There's the ever-present danger of compromise with liberalism. There's the ever-present danger of the subtle pull of ultra-conservatism. There's the temptation of legalism. There's the temptation of being against every new thing or different thing. There's the temptation of being, becoming self-righteous. There's the danger of becoming cynical and bitter. And, you know, from these publications, we would think that all is bleak, all is dark. There's a crisis among us. there's always been a crisis there's always been a crisis nothing's changed ever since the first century there's been a crisis in biblical teaching but it's always been a manageable crisis the crisis has always been manageable oh yes there's a crisis I don't deny it but we can manage the crisis if we do things God's way. The management solution of crisis in the Bible seems to be always remedied in two steps. First, a warning, then an exhortation or solution to get out of what was warned about. For instance, Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that some would depart from the faith. It's a warning. It's a crisis. Somebody's going to depart from the faith, Timothy. But he instructs Timothy in verse 7 to reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. There's the answer. There's the solution to the crisis. In, in, excuse me, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul is amazed that the, the crisis of false teaching has turned so many quickly against the true way. And Paul curses the teacher of perversion of the gospel because, verse 11, he lets them know that he, Paul, taught the gospel. In Second John, 
verses 7 through 9. The warning by John is that, that, that there are many deceivers in the world. It's a crisis. There's many of them. It's a crisis out there. And that each and every one of us needs to take a look at ourselves. There's the solution. It's a manageable crisis if we'll do things God's way. In our passage in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, we have been commanded to teach. And what we need to do is obey the command. We need to teach what? God's Word. God's Word. If we want the kingdom to grow, if we want our faith to increase, we must look up to Him, as our theme says this year. Our faith looks to, to God, not to ourselves. I'm paraphrasing David Platt in his book, Radical. He said, make disciples, baptize, teach. Very simple plan. Is there any place in this, in this plan where there could be a breakdown? Yes. When we don't do our job. The breakdown happens with us. When we don't do our job, we need to obey the command to teach everyone, especially when they're a new babe in Christ. And we need to continue to provide quality Bible classes with motivated teachers and students. Not all is bleak. In this same publication, my old English teacher at Lipscomb, and he was also the dean of students, uh, Dennis Lloyd, He wrote, Jesus expected His people to be knowledgeable of God's Word. He asked on one occasion, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Luke uh, 10.26. And again, have you not read what David did? Matthew 12.3. References to biblical personalities and events testify to Jesus' expectation of familiarity and knowledge. He expects us to know what's written and why. Did you understand that? Did you hear what He said? Jesus expects us to know what's written in His Word and why. Should He expect any less? Turn with me again to Matthew 28. Uh, I want to look at the expanded command. Jesus has risen from the dead and come out of the tomb. And when we look at the Gospel of Luke as, as well as here in, in Matthew, the timeline of what we call the, the Great Commission seems to be just before the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And besides the instruction of go, as we, as we read here, uh, He also told them to go to Jerusalem. That's found in Luke and Acts chapter 1 where they're supposed to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. These these are basically Jesus' final instructions, besides some of those others I just mentioned. These are Jesus' final instructions to His disciple before the day of Pentecost. The command to teach is part of a, a larger, multifaceted command. The disciples are commanded to go. Ivan Stewart, in his classic book, Go Ye Means Go Me, he quotes this verse right here in the very first page. In the very first page, he quotes this verse right here. And right underneath it, it says this. Name the last person you personally taught who obeyed the gospel. 
And if you come to that with an honest heart, that'll smack you in the face. Name the last person who you personally taught who obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're told to go. He says, if you were one of these 11 men who heard this for the very first time, would your reaction be, yes, Jesus really means me? Then, he says, we make disciples. We're to make disciples. And the language here, even some other translations include the word teach here. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that it's the truth that will make us free. And it's the truth that one must be taught before they are baptized into Jesus Christ. Disciples are made by instruction and baptism. And the third step, well, being, being to teach more. Going, making disciples, baptizing, teaching are all joined together. You can't separate them. None are to be omitted or, or neglected. They're all to be obeyed. They're all commands. One of the reasons I focused on this particular command is we've got a problem in this area. We've got a problem here. There's a crisis in the church in this area. I'm guilty. I'm guilty and part of the crisis. But I'm ready to change. And I hope you are too. When we baptize somebody, we need to make sure that they're taught afterwards. So many slip back into the world or back into themselves. It's, it, it's kind of like many marriages. You know, guys and gals, you, you work so hard. You work so hard to, to get them to love you, to get them to like you. You work so hard, and it, it's almost like the, the marriage ceremony is, is the, the anticlimax of your life. Well, I got them now. I can just sit back. And I think that's the way we treat a lot of folks who are coming to Jesus Christ. We, we, we baptize them, we get them wet, and that's it. We don't teach them, we don't follow through with the command. My dad's in the audience tonight, and he, he'll, he'll attest that if you don't follow through on that golf club, you won't hit the ball very far. You might hit the ball, but you won't hit it far. We've got to follow through. And teaching, after we've baptized them, is that follow-through. Many times, baptized believers fall away because they've not been taught. The eleven were commanded to teach others. Who? Who's it say? The baptized disciple. To observe, to, to keep, to watch over, to preserve what? All. All things that He, Jesus, commanded. All things. Included in this list is this command. Right here. Included in this list is this command to go, make, baptize, teach. 
observe. Which would include the command to beware. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. It would include the command to remember. John chapter 15, verse 20. It would include the, the, man to, the command to come unto me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. All of the duties of the life of one who will follow Christ, it, it demands that from you. John chapter 14, verse 26. Yes, there is a crisis, but we obey the command. That's what we do. We're Christians. It's, our, it's, it's, it's what we've been commanded to do and it's our job, it's our duty to obey God's commands. We must use our courage to do so sometimes. It takes great personal courage to obey, you see. Not all are teachers. Not everybody's a teacher. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, Paul says, We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. And some are good at one thing and some are good at another. As Paul implies in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, not everyone is a teacher in, in a formal sense. James even carries a warning for the teacher. In James chapter 3 and, and verse 1, he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. keep you up at night. It'll force you to, to back check, recheck what you've said and what you're going to say. Whatever you teach, even, you know, even these small, short talks, it, it makes, you, makes you look at what you're doing. There's a warning there. Teachers are to be used for the equipping of the saints, for the working of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word used here for teachers is also used in, in place of, as I've looked in, in Vine's Dictionary of New Testament words, master, rabbi. It was used of Jesus. It was used of Nicodemus. It was used of Paul. We, we, but we can't all be a form, formal teacher and should heed the warning. But every one of us can teach in, in one way or another. Every one of us can. We all do every day. Paul charged Timothy to commit the things he taught to faithful men who were able to teach others. But every Christian in here could, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, in humility correct those who are in opposition. We all have a responsibility to do this. They, mo they may understand the truth. They may know the truth if you say something. If you correct with humility, somebody might understand the truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Verse 2, one of the qualifications of an elder is that he should be able to teach, apt to teach. And an elder, elder is able to do so because in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, he has been taught the faithful word. Our elders, they're, they're supposed to be able to teach. 
We fathers ought to teach our children, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Older women ought to teach the younger in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. These are all true and right and, 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 and teachers, but everyone in here is a potential teacher because it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Be ready to teach, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. And we should teach. And we should all strive to do so in one way or another. But let's say you aspire to be a teacher or a better teacher. What can you do? And I hesitate to give any advice in this audience full of capable Bible teachers and, and even so many professional teachers in this audience. And, but, but I do give advice for those who may be thinking about teaching a Bible class or have never taught a Bible class before or those who, who, are, in now, who, are, who are now teaching and need encouragement. I, I say this to you. One thought that's always hit home with me to be a better teacher is that to be a good teacher, you've got to be a good student. You can never stop being a student of the Bible. I don't know everything and neither do you. And so we can always learn something as a teacher that we can bring to those that we teach. And I try hard to have the attitude of Paul that when he said, not that I've attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I don't know everything and I never will, but I, but I need to make sure that I come humbly to God's Word and if, and if, if I lack wisdom in a matter, I need to make sure that I ask God. And he, he says, it says in James chapter 1 verse 5, if I ask God, He will liberally give me wisdom. To be a good teacher, we need to be a good student. But to be a good teacher, we also need to practice what we teach. On the sign out front this week, it says, A hypocrite is like a pen. It points one way and heads another. That's the way James said, that's the reason why James said it was hard to be a teacher. Because we do sin. We do fall short. And there's not much more devastating than to see a teacher or a preacher or an elder or a deacon fall and stumble over things that they themselves taught against. It's hard to swallow sometimes. Be a good student. Don't be a, don't be a hypocrite. And to be a good teacher, you need to teach. You need to get your hands dirty. You need to do it. Do the work. Eat the meat. The Hebrew writer in, in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, he kind of got on to the recipients of the Hebrew letter when he said in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12, by this time you ought to be teachers. By this time you should have been teachers. But you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Brother Mark Copeland, he quotes uh, psychologist William Glasser who said, we learn... 10% of what we read, 20% of what we hear, 30% of what we see, 50% of what we see and hear, 70% of what we discuss with others, 80% of what we experience personally, and 95%, we learn 95% of what we teach others. 
I teach Revelation on Wednesday nights. And if, if you're visiting with us, I'd love to have you come back on Wednesday nights. But let me tell you something. I've learned so much more about Revelation than sitting in the class because I taught it. I had to know. Because I've got smart people in my class that will call me on the carpet if I don't know it. 1 Corinthians will eat your lunch. It's hard. It's a hard book. But I know so much more and am so closer to 1 Corinthians and the teachings of Paul and that great letter because I've been teaching it. Just like in mission work, you go in believing you can help somebody and you think, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to help these, these poor people. I'm going to help them learn about Jesus Christ. And you come away... Oh, a whole lot more help than when you went in. You come away more blessed. There's a great joy in teaching. It's hard. But remember, we talked about a few weeks ago, that's, that's where, you know, that hard time happiness, that's where joy is. Joy is hard time happiness. That happiness you find even in the rough patches of life. Those John taught in 3 John, verse 3, they walked in the truth. And as an elder and a teacher, he had no greater joy than to hear of those that he taught that were his children who were walking in the truth. I just love it. When you ask me questions and I see you grow, and I see those who, who, who understand the truth and they know the truth and they, they obey the truth and continue to walk in the truth. Oh, it's, it's a wonder. Every elder in here would nod with me when they, when, they, when, they, when, they, when they think about you and how good you are and the good work that you do. There's a joy in it. And there's always been a teaching crisis. We need to stand firm. We need to obey the command to teach. We are commanded to go. We are commanded to baptize. But we must obey the command to teach as well. It takes great courage. It takes great preparation. But teaching has so many rewards. Now, you can make this teacher's joy fuller by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight. There are so many of you out there. I know you. We've talked. Know that you need to obey. What's holding you back? Make my joy full. Make this congregation's joy even fuller. Let us rejoice with you. And I tell you, the angels in heaven will rejoice as well. If you want to have a fuller life, a richer life, an everlasting life, come right now. As together we stand and sing.